Welcome to Click, Treat, Repeat. This is a horse-focused podcast discussing positive reinforcement training, equine management and welfare, and other horse-related topics. So let's get started. So I guess another question that I have is, other than, I guess, like the myths about rescue horses, why do you think adopting a rescue is so rare in the horse world? Because I feel like we do have myths about rescue dogs as well, like that they can be aggressive or they can be reactive and afraid of everything and all those things. But you still do see a lot more people adopting dogs. So I'm just wondering if you have any other potential insights why you think it's so much rarer in the horse world. There are, of course people who show, and I I know I'm not very well-versed on show rules in the competition world, but I do know that for certain shows, your horse does have to be registered. So that would definitely be um, a reason that I could see someone choosing to go with buying a horse that, you know, they do know the parents and they are able to register it because otherwise they may not be able to show. And I I do think that's a, you know, a valid concern because, you know, a lot of the horses that you're going to find at rescues, they are going to be great. So I, I, I understand that, you know, if that's someone's goal to show and, you know, the show would literally prevent them from participating if they did not have that registration. I know that about 30 minutes north of me, there's a rescue that focuses on Arabians. The, what they do, I believe, is they send off I think maybe like a hair sample and, you know, some part of the horse's DNA, all the horses they get in and they send it into the Arabian Horse Association, if that's what it is called. I want to say most of the horses they get back are actually already registered or able to be registered. So I think that that it would be really nice if that's something that rescues could maybe focus a little more on and especially now with having that kind of technology to literally just send in your horse's DNA and see if it's you know in the the database so it's definitely not I I would definitely say that it is possible to find a horse like a you know of a purebred breed that you are able to register and show and I think it would be really cool if rescues can maybe focus on that a bit more so that the people who have you know, that concern still have options in the rescue world. And then I know that, like I said before, I used to board at a hunter jumper barn. And so I was familiar with that. I went to their shows and everything. And I know that for certain disciplines, judges can be very biased in terms of breed and just look, just the look of the horse, not necessarily, you know, the partnership between the horse and rider or, you know, how well they are performing, but just the look which in my personal opinion is absolutely ridiculous. But like I said before, I'm not a show person. So I could see that being a barrier as well. That, you know, again, someone who wants to show, knowing that the judges want a horse of a certain look, a warm blood over a thoroughbred and that kind of thing, that that could, you know, prevent prevent someone from going with a rescue if they really want to win. And they know that, you know, no matter how good their performance is, they're probably not going to get that blue ribbon unless they have a horse that just looks a certain way. Yeah. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that also kind of goes into in the show world, there is such a status thing. Like, you know, you want to be able to be like, oh, I bought this horse for $50,000 and, you know, wear all of your fancy tack and whatnot. I'm not saying it, obviously everyone in the show world is like that, but some circles definitely can be. So 
those people, you know, might not get as much status from being like, oh, this is my rescue horse. So I feel like that's kind of possibly an element as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm hoping that changes. I'm hoping the show world can maybe focus a bit more on performance over, you know, just how the horse looks. Like I know, like in hunters, warm bloods are very common because hunters is much more based on how you and your horse look. Whereas in jumpers, it's all about performance. It's all about how fast are you, how fast are you can get over the jumps. And so I think, and in, in eventing as well. So I think that in disciplines like jumpers and eventing, off the track thoroughbreds are, at least from what I can tell, a lot more common in those sports because, you know, they absolutely have the athletic ability to do what is asked of them in that job. It's just that they might not look, they might not have that warm blood look, which, you know, would disqualify them from, from the hunter world. Yeah, that's a good point. This is like a whole other topic. We did an episode on like the ethicalness of competitions, whether we think they can become ethical. And we didn't even get into this area, but honestly, this is such a big factor in competitions as well. Just the unfairness of it and those types of things that prevent the people who actually have trained well and have a good partnership with their horse from being able to succeed. Whereas the people who have bad training potentially and not a good partnership with the horse, but they just have this expensive horse and maybe a big name trainer or something. Those people are able to succeed. It's just kind of unfortunate. Yeah, I think it's getting better though. I think I know that, you know, more shows are opening up where it, it doesn't matter if your horse is registered. It doesn't matter what they look like. Like I, like in the dog world, I know that it's the same thing. You know, some competitions are breed only, but some are specifically for mutts and they're specifically for, it doesn't matter what your dog looks like. It, you know, it matters how well that they perform in your partnership and how good your training was. And I'm, I think I'm seeing more of that in the horse world. Like horse agility is becoming a lot more common, you know, ridden and on the ground, liberty competitions as well. And I think lower rated shows at like, you know, the lower levels of English disciplines and possibly Western, I'm not sure. I think it, it matters less if, you know, if you're at the very local level, then I, I don't think it matters as much, you know, what breed your horse is, what you look like, how expensive your tack is. It, it's more, it's more for fun. Yeah, for sure. I've done a couple of really small, just kind of like fun shows locally, not in a while, but it was, it seemed pretty fair to me, but then again, I was pretty young and it was definitely just sort of a fun show. It wasn't, you know, anything fancy at all, but it was definitely good for that experience, at least to be everybody kind of treated fairly. And so hopefully those type of local experiences can get more common in the bigger show circuits but then again there's all sorts of issues in those bigger show circuits anyway so <laughs> hopefully they'll just improve in a lot of ways overall yeah and it should be fun it should be fun it shouldn't be about how much your horse costs or how much your tack costs or what your horse looks like it doesn't you know that's not fun that's not fun the fun part is what can you and your horse achieve together at least in my opinion, that's what's fun. And I hope the horse world focuses on that more. And then that way, I think it would also become a lot more accessible for people who want to support rescue and who 
you know, do want to support non-ridden horses and senior horses. If, if the horse world wasn't so much about status and presentation, I think it would be a lot more inclusive. I totally agree. The last thing that I know we wanted to talk about is with rescues, like not all rescues are really created equal, probably. It seems like there's some that do really well and practice things really well and then other ones that kind of have some practices that are questionable. So do you want to maybe share some red flags in looking for rescues and also maybe good things in looking for rescues that could help you pick the right one? Yeah. So these are, I would say, I guess they come down to personal preference and some things that are red flags to me may not be red flags to someone else and that's totally okay. But some red flags that I have discovered with all of the rescues that I've been in contact with and visited, I guess the first one would be rescues that don't have a dedicated trainer who comes and regularly trains the horses that that they get in. From my experience, it seems so much easier to adopt out horses when there's a dedicated dedicated trainer on site who works with them on a consistent basis and is able to determine their personalities and how much training they've gotten in the past when they come in and then is able to help them brush up on some things that they need help with that might make them more I don't know catch the eye of potential adopters so you know some some rescues have a lot of, like you said before, you know, young unbroke horses, but they don't have a dedicated trainer. So they're hoping to just adopt out these young unbroke horses to people and hope that they find a lot of people who are willing to train them. But that's usually not the case. You know, most people, when they go to adopt out a horse, you know, they, at least they don't want to have to train the basics. I know even, even myself, which I could train the basics if I wanted to, but to me, having to train basic husbandry behaviors is really stressful. So really stressful for the adopter because the horse needs medical care. And if you can't pick up their feet or if the vet is not able to, you know, give them an injection, that's pretty stressful. So I would definitely say to look for rescues that have that dedicated trainer who comes and works with the horses on a regular basis, is able to evaluate where they're at, and then is able to discuss that with potential adopters. Yeah, I think that totally makes sense. And, you know, there might be people out there like me who would really like to get a young horse that doesn't have a lot of experience or a lot of training. But, you know, most everyday people, that might not be what they're looking for. So that's definitely you know, a good sign if the rescue is doing everything they can to make their horses, you know, easy to adopt where people are going to want them. So that definitely makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I would also say to watch out for, I guess I would call them flippers, horse flippers, people that just may use terms like adoption fee and rescue. But in fact, all they do is take in cheap horses, train them, and then flip them for a quick buck. So that would definitely not be an ideal situation to adopt a horse from, in my experience. So I would look for rescues that are 501c3 certified or accredited, whatever the term is. So you know that you're not just adopting from someone who on the surface may look like 
they are a rescue, but are actually just looking to make a quick buck by taking in cheap horses and then flipping them for profit. Yeah, that's a good point. I think in general, that's probably the type of horses you might want to somewhat avoid, even if you're purchasing, because a lot of the time their goal is not to actually put a really good foundation on the horse, but just to, you know, make money like you're saying. So yeah, I I agree. That's definitely one to avoid. Yeah. And I feel like places like this, which leads me to my next red flag, typically won't take the horse back. And to me, if the rescue does not make you sign first rider refusal contract and they are not willing to take the horse back, or at least are not even willing to help you network the horse to a better location if you have to. That's a huge red flag for me because if the rescue's not willing to take the horse back and possibly prevent that horse from ending up in the exact same situation, then how committed are they to their horses really? So I would make sure that the rescue wants that first rider refusal or at least is committed to helping you network that horse to another adopter in their community if needed. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. I know with dog shelters too, they typically, at least the ones that I've worked with, always want to take the dog back if you can't keep them because they, their priority is to make sure that the animal is not going to end up in a bad situation. And, you know, they, they want to take responsibility for that animal if they need to. So if they're just kind of looking to get the horse off their hands and not have to deal with it again, that's definitely not great. Yeah, I mean, a a good rescue wants to take in horses and keep them out of that rescue pipeline for the rest of their lives. So they're going to do whatever they can to prevent that horse from ending up in need of rescue again, you know, even if that means taking them back. And I would say good rescues also do that by taking in owner surrenders. A huge red flag for me would be if a rescue is constantly fundraising to take in kill pen horses from out of state, but is not looking at their local auctions or taking in owner surrenders, that is a huge red flag for me because, I mean, to me, it's just not that effective of a solution. If you're looking at taking advantage of, you know, tugging on people's heartstrings to take horses in that are several states away at a kill pen, but you're not going to the local auctions and seeing, you know, and taking an owner surrenders and supporting those horses that need your help in your local community right now and not preventing those owner surrenders from then landing at those kill pens and end up having to be rescued anyway. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I know the the subject of um, rescuing from kill pens is very controversial. Personally, I don't I don't support it. Like I said, these red flags that I'm mentioning, um, I feel typically come down to personal preference. So if someone you know wants to support the saving of kill pen horses and is totally fine, you know, adopting from a rescue that does that, then by all means, you know, I'm not going to stop anybody who wants to do that. I think that's fantastic. But I also like to see rescues that are taking in horses that aren't necessarily in the rescue pipeline yet, but are at a high risk of ending up there. So they take them in. So that doesn't happen. Yeah, that's totally fair. I definitely also have heard of just kind of different opinions on the whole rescuing from kill pens thing. I don't know a ton about that really, but yeah, that definitely makes sense. You'd want to also prevent horses from getting into the rescue pipeline situation to begin with. 
Yeah, definitely. And then I would say my last red flag is also super based on personal preference, but I have seen some rescues that have extremely strict adoption requirements. Like, you know, most rescues are going to want to do home checks, maybe multiple times. Maybe they want to come see your property before you adopt the horse. And then maybe they want to come check on the horse a month, three months, six months later. And that's totally normal. And I would not shy away from that because, you know, they just want to make sure the horse is going to a good place. And if you have a good place, then it shouldn't be an issue. So I, I mean, that's something for people who are interested in being first time adopters to be aware of that they are rescues are likely going to want to do home checks either asking for pictures of your facilities or coming and seeing them in person. They're going to want references, which is also, in my opinion, totally fine, totally normal. You know, just send in references of maybe your trainer can vouch that you are a good horse owner or, you know, a previous seller that you that you bought from or a friend. And they will also really, you know, a lot of rescues will want to know if you relocate the horse. And again, to me, like, that's totally fine. Like, you know, they want to keep track of where the horse is going. But to me, extremely strict adoption requirements would be requirements such as they have to be in a herd. And I I have come across this before. And I mean, trust me, I will be the first person to say that I think all horses should live in herds. All horses should live in pastures. Absolutely, 100%. I want that for my horse. However, when you're in a location such as Southern California, having that adoption requirement instantly alienates about 90% of your potential adopters because as bad as some people may want to provide that for their horse here, it's it's not available. It's not possible. It doesn't exist. So that for me would be a red flag to make sure that before you go to a rescue that you, you ask them, is this something that you require? Because if you can't provide that, you can't provide that. If you don't have access to it, it's not your fault. I've been to rescues where, and this is both, I would say, a good and a bad thing. Rescues that want to, before you adopt the horse, or maybe after, and it's a requirement, they want to teach you how they work with the horse and support you in that training process. You know, on one hand, if you can find a rescue that trains the way you like, no matter how that is, natural horsemanship, positive reinforcement, you know, whatever's your thing, and you can find a rescue who can support you in that, then I wouldn't say that's a red flag. I would say that's fantastic that they want to support your training. But, you know, being a clicker trainer myself, I've been to rescues where before you adopt the horse, you are essentially forced to learn how they have been working with the horse, learn exactly the way that they do it. And before you can adopt the horse, you have to prove to this rescue that you can make the horse do a checklist of tasks their way before you can take it home. And for someone like me who feels, one, very uncomfortable training a horse with aversive methods. You know, that was a very uncomfortable situation for me to be in. And two, that wasn't helpful to me at all because no matter what they taught me, I was going to take the horse home and do none of it ever again because that just was not the way that I trained. So in my opinion, that's a bit of a closed-minded approach and they're not really taking into consideration that adopters may want to do things their way and that's okay. 
And I mean, and then they rescued that I adopted room from, they did a natural horsemanship, but they, they did not make me participate in any of it. And I was really grateful for that. That's totally fine. They trained him that way. That's fine with me. I'm just glad that they did not force me to learn that and that I was able to interact with him in a way that was beneficial to me in a way that I would have done when I took him home to make sure that we were going to get along since me training you know, a horse with natural horsemanship at a rescue, a potential horse of mine doesn't give me any information because I don't do any of that at home. I was never going to. That's something that I would look out for. Potential training requirements could be a green flag, could be a red flag, depending on, you know, what training that rescue does and what you're comfortable with. I have also heard of rescues who will only adopt out to you if you own your own property, which Again, I see why, like, I understand why that would be a plus, but again, in a place, you know, like my location in Southern California, that excludes 90% of adopters because land is so expensive out here and there's just not much of it that, yeah, that, that excludes a lot of people. And so personally, I'm not sure if that's right, but to each rescue their own. And that's just something to look out for that some rescues may not be okay with you boarding and they may need you to have your own property. And I would say that those are all of the strict adoption requirements that I've seen. I'm sure there's other stranger ones out there, but those are the ones that I've come across that make me a little wary, but that may be, you know, totally fine for someone else, you know, for someone who ran into these rescues and already is able to keep their horse in a herd, already has their own property and already trained with natural horsemanship, they would have loved these rescues. So it really just comes down to being aware that some rescues are going to have these strict requirements and just know to know what you're looking for and make sure that the rescue aligns with your values Yeah, that's awesome. Those are some great points. I also have seen some rescues requiring training related things. Like I believe I've seen one that requires you to take a certain amount of lessons with the horse with their trainer once you adopt the horse. And to me, like I understand why they want to do that because if the horse isn't being trained in some way and kind of kept like, I guess like a desirable horse, if they just let them go sit in a pasture and don't train them at all, then that horse is probably more likely to end up back in a bad situation again. So they want to ensure that this person is willing to invest in the training and keep this horse going with the training that they've already started. But then on the other hand, like you said, it's usually not the method of training that I would want to do is what they're going to be teaching. So it wouldn't be very useful to me. It would also possibly just be very uncomfortable for me to have to do that as well. So I agree. I think in some situations, maybe they could have a way of assessing, like if somebody doesn't have a lot of experience or something, maybe require them to do some type of lessons as a condition for adopting the horse. But if they have experience and have references stating that they, you know, are experienced and will be able to keep this horse good in good training status and whatnot, then, you know, ideally that person wouldn't be required to do that. So I completely agree. Yeah. And and like you said, you know, it makes, it absolutely makes sense why rescues would have a requirement like that. They want to make sure that the, the adopter is going to be able to take the horse home and is going to be able to do everything they have to do with the horse. Because if an adopter takes a horse home and struggles with doing day-to-day things with them, that's not a good situation for the horse. And the horse may up again back in the rescue pipeline 
or just going back to the rescue. So, you know, I, I understand why, why rescues do that. And it makes sense. And I think, you know, hopefully as alternative training methods become more popular, you know, maybe me that maybe that'll become less of a thing. Cause I have also seen rescues that forgot exactly what training method it was. It was either like Corelli or Clinton Anderson or something, but it was a rescue near me that was advertising a horse for adoption. And they said, we will only adopt out this horse to people who train with the Pirelli technique, which again, to me is very limiting and very close-minded to think that, you know, only someone who trains with the Pirelli technique is going to be successful, you know, with that horse or, or knows what they're doing. But it, it, it is the thing. And, and it's, it's unfortunate, you know, I wish I didn't have to say this, but I would almost say to any positive reinforcement um, trainers and owners out there that are looking to adopt a horse, maybe don't mention that you click or train at least the first time that you go visit the rescue because it's very sad but I could certainly see some of the rescues that I have been to I would not have felt comfortable saying that you know I genuinely felt that if I had said that I I click or train my horse they would have refused to adopt out a horse to me like I actually had to tell my parents don't tell them that I train this way because they might make me leave and they might refuse to you know adopt out a horse to me which is very sad, but uh, yeah, I would just caution anyone who is visiting a rescue as a potential adopter sees that the rescue has a very specific type of training. You know, I could say endless good things about the rescue that I got room from. It is fantastic. I loved it, but they train all of their horses with the Monty Roberts training approach. And they all wear Monty Roberts halters, and that's just their thing. And, you know, that's totally fine. But, like, in one of their newsletters that they sent out, you know, they, they had a section in the newsletter that said what to do if your horse is biting. And one of their recommendations was to never, ever, ever hand feed your horse because horses are not predators and they don't work for their food. And so, you know, it's sad, but when I read that, I was like, I'm, I'm glad that I didn't say that I click or train because maybe I wouldn't have ruined right now. Maybe they would have said, you know, no, they wouldn't have been comfortable adopting him out. So hopefully that changes in the future, but it is something to, aware, to be aware of. That, that would definitely be a con to rescues, I would say. I would say sellers are probably less likely to care how you're going to train their horse. I mean, I'm sure there are sellers out there who do care, but I would say that rescues are probably going to be more picky about that. And just to be aware of that when you go visit them, you know, maybe stalk their social media before you go and see what their preferences are, what they like to do, and then see what your first impression is when you go and then make the decision of whether or not you want to reveal that you click or train or you train with positive reinforcement or with food rewards, et cetera. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I never even would have thought of that because I guess I always thought like, oh, you know, I, even if people don't think positive reinforcement is like a good training method, at least they could recognize like I'm treating the horse well in general and doing things in an okay way, but yeah, you're right. Probably a lot of people would see it as a negative thing and not feel comfortable with somebody who does that type of training method adopting the horse. And that's just really unfortunate, but I guess that kind of brings up too, 
there are some rescues out there who do use primarily positive reinforcement and we shout this person out a lot in this podcast but empowered equines is a rescue that uses all positive reinforcement i'm actually not sure exactly how they operate i'm not sure what their process is or if they adopt out their horses or if they're just sort of like a sanctuary i honestly don't know chloe might know more than i do but they are a really great organization that does rescue horses and teach them with positive reinforcement so you know you might not be able to find one near you but i'm sure there are some out there that do use positive reinforcement if that's like the route that some people want to go yeah, and um, Steph K. Equestrian, I, I think her program is that she rescues horses, retrains them with clicker training, uses them for her lesson program while she does that, and then adopts them out so that they're not stuck being lesson horses, but they are temporarily in that role to learn what they need to learn. And then she adopts them out, which I think is an absolutely beautiful program. I love that. So, and I, I don't, I don't know exactly where she is, but she's not in California, which makes me sad. Yeah. I hope there will be more clicker training rescues that open up eventually. I know Chloe does want to possibly eventually open one. So that would be very cool. Please do Chloe. (laughs) I would come visit. (laughs) I need to, I need more pastures first though. Yeah. Well, I think one day you'll make it happen. But yeah, I think that's really about all we wanted to cover. Thank you so much, Natalie, for coming and talking about this. This is a really good topic to share more about. And hopefully somebody who listens will consider adopting a rescue horse. So I guess, do you want to tell people where they can find you on Instagram or any other online places you are? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me. I I love talking about it so much. I'm very passionate about rescue horses. So if anybody, you know, wants to see what kind of work I do with my horse, my beloved OTTB gelding rune, or has any questions about rescues, they can find me at Unusual Equine, both on Instagram and on Facebook. And I'm most active on Instagram. And yeah, that's where you can find me. Awesome. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Click, Treat, Repeat. Feel free to check us out on Instagram at Click, Treat, Repeat Pod. You can find Jen at Genuine Equine and myself at Bonafide.bt. We upload new episodes every Monday and hope to see you then. Happy training!